Grab your Bible, church, this morning and open it to uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. And we're going to continue our journey together in Mark's Gospel. We find ourselves in verses 1 through 20 this morning. And, you know, after all that happened this week, um, it happened after I had written my message, after Pastor Weston had put together his worship set. And then it was so amazing later in the week to look back and to realize that that God knew what was up, that God knew what was coming next. Um, For example, the the opening line of my message this morning is this, life is full of stuff that didn't turn out the way you hoped. (laughs) Yeah, God knew. But how real is that? Uh, How real is that in your life? Life is full of stuff that doesn't turn out the way we hoped. A kind-hearted man decided to volunteer his time to serve people in the cancer ward of his local hospital. He he was a musician and he did some stand-up comedy in college, so he took his keyboard and he polished up his routine and he got permission from the hospital to go room to room and, and minister to those undergoing cancer treatment, entertaining people who were wrestling with chemo and radiation and all kinds of major surgeries and room to room he went, just pouring out his heart. After he finished in one older woman's room, he said to her as he got ready to leave, Ma'am, I really hope that you get better soon. She smiled sweetly and answered, Honey, I hope you get better soon too. (laughs) (laughs) Life is full of moments that don't turn out the way you hoped they would. How much of your life is like that? How much of your life feels like that? You know, this truth can be discouraging. Lots of people look at their lives in the light of the dreams that they once had and and think, I missed the boat. Or it's all downhill from here. Maybe the kids didn't turn out the way you hoped or your marriage didn't turn out the way you hoped. Or maybe when you look in the mirror, you don't see the person you hoped that you would see once upon a time. One of my favorite quotes is by the actress Lily Tomlin, who said, when I was young, I always dreamed of growing up and being somebody. I guess I should have been more specific. (laughs) Life is full of things that don't turn out the way we expected. Sometimes discouragement can flow from that. Sometimes that discouragement can be so great that we sort of go on existing but not really living. John Steinbeck, in his great American novel, The Grapes of Wrath, one of my favorite books, it's all about the struggles of a poor family made homeless by the Oklahoma Dust Bowl. In that book, at the end, as the family is arriving in California homeless, gathered together with all their belongings in their car, Papa Jode, the father of the family, says to Ma Jode, it was some years ago, so it's Pop and Ma, said, you know, Ma, you're the one who keeps us going through everything. He says, I I ain't no good, no more. Something happened to me. It seems like I spend all my time nowadays thinking of how it used to be, even though I know I ain't never going back there no more. And then 
Mama Jode, in the closing lines of The Grapes of Wrath, explains where she finds her strength. Listen to what she says. She says, Pa, a man and a woman, they live differently. A man lives sort of, well, in jerks. A baby is born, and that's a jerk. Somebody dies, and that's a jerk. He gets a farm or he loses it, and that's another jerk. She says, but with a woman, it's all one flow like a river. There's eddies and waterfalls, but the river just goes right on and on forever. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe in forever? Or are you just living for little jerks along the way? So many people have all their ambitions tied up in what they hope might happen in this life. But God invites us to realize that there's a river that goes on and on forever and that this part of our life isn't the story, it's just the prologue. It's just the beginning, it's just the opening. Do you live in forever? Pa didn't, and he came to the end of himself. Ma did, and she never came to the end of herself. This morning, Jesus wants to talk to us about the kind of discouragement that can make someone turn back from following him, and the kind of faith that enables us to finish what we've started. I invited you to turn to Mark chapter 4. Let's listen to Jesus teaching us for a few minutes this morning, and hear clearly what he's saying. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, the Bible says again... Jesus began to teach by the lake. We've been watching him do this for weeks. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out in the lake. And all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. But still other seed fell on good soil. And it came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. And then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now let's pause for just a moment. And let's realize that when Jesus told this story, he began it, And he ended it with a very serious tone. Look at verse 1. Listen, your Bible says, with an exclamation point in English. That's reflecting the, the strong imperative in the Greek word. Hey, you, pay attention, Greg. Listen, I'm going to tell you something important. Jesus begins with that tone, and then he ends with that tone. He brings us back again. Look at how he ends in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Have you ever adopted a really serious tone with your kids because you knew that something really important was at stake? Jesus is doing something like that here. I remember when our son Isaiah was a boy and I I pulled him aside one day and I solemnly warned him. I said, son, watch out for mom's pies. Sometimes she tells you they're apple and they're really mock zucchini pies. It's horrible. It's awful. Watch out. No, but seriously, there are times when we pull our kids aside like that and we say, hey, listen to me. Now, Jesus is doing that in this moment. He's doing that with us. He's serious because he knows and he's going to talk about the fact that starting doesn't matter nearly as much as finishing. And that's what he's going to talk about in this story. Now, hearing that story, the scripture tells us in verses 14 and following that Jesus' disciples came to him and said, explain that one to us, would you? We hear your urgency. Explain this story to us. And, and Jesus did, and he was very clear. He said, uh, again, beginning with verse 14, the farmer sows the word, that the, the seed represents the gospel, and, and some people are like the seed along the path. As soon as they hear the gospel, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. What does that mean? We'll talk about that in a moment. Others, he said, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But, since they have no root, they last only a short time. They start, they don't finish. When trouble or persecution becomes, uh, comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things comes in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful, but others... Like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word accepted and produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. In other words, Jesus says, fellas, ladies, listen to me. The story I just told you is a warning. It's about the way that people respond to the gospel. And Jesus says there's, there's, there's basically kind of four categories of response. He said, first of all, lots of people just ignore it. You, you and I know lots of folks like that. They just ignore the things of God. Uh, the truth of who he is, the reality of who he is, just don't matter to them. Of course, many of them will be quick to blame him and hate him when stuff goes wrong and attack him, saying things like, why would God make a world that suffers and so on? But the bottom line is that so long as their bellies are full and they're entertained, they don't care about righteousness or holiness, or what it costs a Father God to redeem us from sin. They just don't care. Jesus puts it this way. He says, Satan takes away the word. What does that mean? Satan is the deceiver. It means he deceives them. He deceives them into going with their indifference instead of getting real and serious about the reality of eternity. How do they do that? Or how does he do that? He propagates lies about cause and effect. If you do this, it won't really lead to that. If you choose to behave in this way, it'll be better than behaving in a godly way. He propagates lies about the price of sin. No, that won't really warp your mind and heart for the rest of your life. No, don't believe that. That's just religious talk. 
And most of all, he takes away the word by deceiving people about who God is. The devil's been doing that from the very beginning. And so when Jesus talks about Satan taking away the word, the idea here is not the helplessness of the person from whom it is taken, but really the culpability of that person in allowing themselves to be deceived. Church, understand there's a still small voice in every soul on the planet. But lots of people spend a lifetime ignoring that voice because they just don't care. In fact, at the core of that is an indifference to what's true and good and real. And as a consequence, they never seek it. In fact, it's because of that attitude that verses 11 and 12 are in this story. Jesus says to the disciples, let me explain to you why I tell stories and then explain them in private. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that Jesus said, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, it's easy to misunderstand what he's saying here, so let me help you grasp it. First of all, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. That's where we get the context for what he means. But what he's saying is, understand this, church, there's a difference between knowing the right answer and living the truth. There's a difference between knowing the right answer and living out what it means. And Jesus is calling, he says, I tell stories because some people, all they want to do is collect the right answer. Other people will hear the story and they'll say, what is that about? What does that mean? What, how does that relate to me? What, how does that affect me? How, does that, uh, how should that guide me? He says, some people, other people just want the right answer. You know, um, can I just confess something to you? I'm one of those people, you probably hate people like me because tests are easy for me, all right? They always have been since I was a kid. I can almost not even know the subject matter and still do decent on a test. I'm that, my wife says I hated you in high school because, you know, I, that, I'm just good at tests. I always have been. I don't know why it's a thing. But here's the thing. Do you want somebody who's good at tests doing surgery on you or somebody who cares about surgery? Do you want somebody who knows the right answers only, or do you want someone who's all about it? Yeah, you want someone. Jesus says, that's the dividing line that I draw in the world when I tell parables. Some people say, oh, what does that mean? I want to know. Others say, yeah, another story. All they're looking for is right answers. Jesus says that that division makes all the difference. The Lord put it this way over in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Lots of people are like that. They have the right answer. Oh, yeah, Jesus is Lord. But their behavior knows nothing of the reality behind it. And so Jesus says, hey, that's why I talk in parables. And that's, that's just how some people are. Then he goes on. He says, second, there are many people who receive the word with joy, but they last only a short time because they have no root. The picture is easy to see, which is why Jesus frames it this way. A tree with no roots is just a, an accident waiting to happen. We know that here in Enumclaw, right? The wind starts blowing and we start looking around. We know how this goes. And uh, the reality is that when trouble or persecution comes, people with no root fall fast. 
They quit on their so-called faith and turn back from following Christ. You and me both know people in that category. We're, we're going to come back to that in a moment, so hold, hold that thought. Third, Jesus says some people are, are just stifled by, by worries, by their desire for other things. And then in a wonderful turn of phrase, he says, by the deceitfulness of wealth. Not the fact of wealth, because wealth in and of itself is neither good or bad, but by the lies that wealth tells us sometimes. The belief that that's all we need. That if we have it, everything else will be fine. We're going to come back to that as well. And then he says there's a fourth group of people, those who start and finish following Jesus. Their connection to him is deep and continuous. And it makes their lives into an abundant crop of good deeds and good words. Let me ask you this morning, where do you see yourself on that spectrum? Or more significantly, way more importantly, where do you want to see yourself on that spectrum? Jesus is going to talk about how we move on that spectrum. The parable of the sower is about the difference between starting and finishing. And about how many start but fewer finish. It's a sober and serious reminder that our earthly lives aren't little sideshows disconnected from eternity. They are the foundations on which eternity is built or not built in each of our cases. Every wedding ceremony that I do, and it's, it's a great thrill. I think I'm getting old and sentimental because I, I love it more as I get older. But every wedding ceremony that I do, I talk about how the wedding day really isn't the top of the mountain. It's kind of the beginning of the trail. And I talk about how every anniversary makes the wedding day brighter. And those of us who've gone down that road know that. We understand that. We feel that. We see that. Jesus is talking about something like that here. I said we were going to come back to those two soils in the middle, so let's do that for a moment. Jesus says there are some very specific reasons why people quit. And he said the biggest reason, the first reason, the second soil, is that they're shallow. They have no root. Or to put it another way, they never get serious about God. They're, they're kind of like surfers on the internet, you know? They've got their phone, they're browsing, they want to be a little entertained, they want to be told a good entertaining story once in a while, every now and then get a little sentimental about something, just keep browsing though, just keep browsing. Never really do anything, we've all been there, just surf, just check stuff out. She said a lot of people are like that. They have no root. And so when trouble or persecution comes, they don't finish. They end. They crash. Jesus says, church, understand something. That your decision to follow him is the beginning of your faith, not the end. It's the beginning. Just as a wedding is the beginning of a marriage. Once you respond to him, you and I, we are meant to, to, to start growing which means learning to pray, learning to worship, learning to feed on God's word through Bible study, learning to serve other people, learning to love his church, learning to forgive those who hurt us. We go on and on, but it's about learning. It's about growing. If these things never happen, Jesus is making explicitly clear, then what we thought happened at first doesn't matter. Listen to what he's saying here. They start with joy. They receive the word with joy. But when trouble or persecution comes, they turn away. You know, for some, the very definition of salvation is that joy at the beginning. But Jesus says that joy doesn't always lead to the finish that we hope for. 
To put it another way, excitement without discipleship isn't faith, it's fantasy. And the Lord's making that clear in a sober and serious way. In the summer of 1963, a young motorcycle gang member in Eugene, Oregon, seduced a teenage girl still in high school. And nine months later, I popped out. But that young man, he didn't own being a dad. And he was gone a couple of short years later, which is why I know him by his first name rather than by the title dad. But a few years after that, another man came into the picture. And even though he didn't get that young lady pregnant, he went to work every day and he came home every day. And so he gets to be called dad. Rolling in the hay doesn't make you a parent. Sticking around does. And raising your hand and getting all weepy happy once 20 years ago doesn't make you a Christ follower. makes you a starter. And then the question becomes, are you a finisher? Some people choose to be shallow. Others turn back, Jesus said, because of the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things that get in the way of following. Wealth can make you think it's all you need. There's a line from an old song that I love. It says, when you have so much, you think you have so much to lose. And that's profoundly real. That's what wealth can do to us. That's how it deceives us sometimes. In the same way, so can chasing fame or romance or reputation or even security. We think, that's what I need. That's all I need. But Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Jesus tells the story of a rich man who gained a lot and he had so much. He said, I got to build bigger barns to store it all. And God says, you fool. Today, this, your life will be demanded of you. And now what are you going to do with all that? See, that man had been deceived by wealth. Jesus also says that worries and troubles and persecution can tempt us to turn back because they can make us think, hear me now, church, we're turning the corner into the home stretch. Those things can tempt us to turn back because they tempt us to think that God won't keep his promises. In Genesis chapter 28, there's a wonderful story about a man named Jacob and about the moment when God gives him a promise. Little context, Jacob's homeless, he's on the run, he's looking for somewhere to put down roots, he's looking for somewhere to, to, to start a new life, and he's out in the wilderness sleeping on a rock, and God wakes him up, gives him a dream, and then gives him a promise. Here's the promise God gave Jacob. He said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying, all of it. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, that's a pretty awesome promise, especially if you're in Jacob's shoes. How do you think he felt when he heard it? What do you think he expected when he heard it? What would you have felt or expected? But friends, please understand, Jacob received this promise, built an altar, rejoiced, but then spent the rest of his life living in tents like a stranger in that foreign country. 
In none of his earthly life did he experience the fulfillment of that promise. In fact, he died waiting for that promise to come true. Not ever taking possession of the promised land in his lifetime. The Bible is at pains to make this clear. Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, verse 21, that by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. There's some context there. What he was doing was saying, yes, there's a promise, sons. It was given to me and it is going to come true. And I'm blessing you in that promise because I still believe in it even though I'm about to breathe my last. I believe God more than I believe this moment. Church, it's when we take hold of the promises of God like that that we discover how to finish what we started. And, and Jacob wasn't the only person that lived this reality. Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 13 to 16 tells us that all these people, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Moses, Noah, we could go on and on. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he has prepared a city for them. Church, here's the point. We tend to think and feel as if this life is all there is. And what happens here and now is what matters most. But God says that your time on earth isn't your story. It's the prologue to your story. And that most of your story happens on the other side. And when you grab hold of that reality by faith, you find the strength to finish. That's where it's at. God, you promised me this stuff. I'm 80 years old now and Israel's still in bondage in Egypt. Nothing's happening. I've been herding sheep for 40 years. I might as well be living in Edomclaw. I'm that irrelevant. (laughs) And God says, hey, guess what, Moses? I made you a promise. It's still going to come true. Jacob saw the fulfillment of that promise on the other side. He's up there now going, oh my goodness. Centuries and millennia, Israel has been there. And sometimes she gets driven out and God always brings her back. And God has used this land, this people, my family, to tell his story of his love and his grace in the world. Oh my goodness, God, I had no idea. But he did have a hold of the promise. He grabbed onto it and he said, God, I believe that what you tell me is more real than this moment or any moment here on earth. You know, Rhonda and I, if I can just tell a story, we had an awesome romance. I was in the military going back and forth, you know, come home in my uniform, have cool Hollywood dates and so on. And we had a great time, you know. We wrote letters. Uh, If you don't know what letters are, just Google. You'll find out about it. They're (laughs) right on paper. But anyway pictures and tearful reunions and poignant goodbyes, you know, and, and all these moments. We had our songs, you know, we have dinner when I have to leave. Babe, I'm leaving. I must be on my way. You know, we did it. It was great. It was great. It wasn't one one hundredth as great as it is now. When we take a walk together on a Friday night, And we just talk about family and friends and the dumb dog and each other and you. It's so good. That part wasn't the story. It was the beginning of the story. Where... Where are you looking for the fulfillment of your promise? 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 says this. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ is revealed. The strength to finish comes 
when we believe God's promise more than we believe the moment. Church, God is gonna do the same thing with his promises to you. Grab a hold of that and you find the ability to finish. Put down roots into the soil of his promises and they will steal you against the worries and troubles and persecutions of this life. This is what you need to finish. You say, I wanna be a finisher. This is how it happens. It's the great missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. And God invites us to grab hold of that reality. He invites us to put down roots. Let me challenge you. I'm going to share a quick video with you. We're going to be done. Are you just browsing your way through your Christian life? Hey, I hope there's a cool YouTube video this Sunday. Hey, well, that's kind of sentimental. Look, some little boy wrote a letter and the whole world reacted. Yay. You're just browsing your way through the Christian life. Are you putting down roots into the soil of God's promises? that's where the strength to finish is found. I want to share a little YouTube video with you, okay, for just a second. But it's a story I read this week, and this is, we'll finish with this, about a man named Luke Akins, who in August of 2019, just a few months ago, jumped from an airplane at 25,000 feet without a parachute, aiming for a net 100 feet by 100 feet on the ground below. Yeah, take a look. Luke spent two years preparing for this jump, 1.5 years of planning and six months of straight training. And Luke told me they never once jumped from a plane into the net until the day they did this one and only jump. Now just to be clear, when Luke jumped from the plane, all he had was a GPS, a communication device and an oxygen tank. What he didn't have was a parachute, a wingsuit or anything else that might help him stop or slow his descent. After jumping out of the Cessna airplane at 25,000 feet, Luke quickly reached a terminal velocity of 120 miles per hour. Because Luke jumped from 25,000 feet, he had to wear an oxygen mask for the first 10,000 feet of the descent. After reaching about 15,000 feet, he passed off the mask and tank to a member of his support team who was skydiving next to him. Using his GPS and only the air currents around him, he lined up his fall to the center of a specialized 100 by 100 foot net, which was designed to stop Luke's fall as softly as if you were standing on a trampoline and merely dropped onto your back. The net, dubbed the flytrap, was suspended between the tops of four 200 foot cranes. The netting itself is constructed from spectra, which is a high density polyethylene cord that is twice as strong as steel. When Luke reached about 200 feet above the net, or a little more than a second away from impact, he flipped onto his back and tucked his chin. Once Luke hit the net, four compressed air cylinders, which are connected to the netting via ropes and pulleys, slowed him down in the same way that you might catch an egg in your hand, by decelerating it gently over a distance. The total time from jumping from the plane to hitting the net took about two minutes. But when you are falling from 25,000 feet into a small net you can't even see from 25,000 feet, I bet it felt like a lifetime. Luke Aiken set a new world record performing this jump, and I bet you that's one world record that won't be beaten anytime soon. That's the story of the stupidest man in the world, alright? <laughs> or is it the smartest man in the world? If you listen to the story, he says they spent two years getting ready for that day. They looked at everything. What kind of material to make the net from? How much compressed air in the cylinders? 
What will be the air pressure at the specific time of day that I leap? What should I be wearing? What will I need? How should I move my body? They spent two years preparing for it. And because those roots were so deep, he was able to do something that you and I would have insisted was impossible. In the same way, God says, if you'll put down your roots into my promises, you'll finish. You'll finish. I'll see you through it all. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Let me just speak to you as human being to human being. Are you just kind of browsing your way through your Christian life? Are you just kind of surfing along? Jesus comes and says, hey, I want you to put down roots. I want you to build your house on the rock, not the sand. Because there is a storm coming. And it'll be nothing to you if you have roots. But if you don't, you won't even be able to finish like you want to. Are you learning to worship? Are you learning to pray? Are you devoting yourself to God's word, to serving those around you, to loving his church, to forgiving those who hurt you? This is how roots grow. And they will sustain you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. As we go from here, let it be having heard you. Let it be having heard you speaking to us as a father to his daughter, to his son. We pray for that. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand with me, church. Yeah.